Welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, sponsored by Moda Fabrics. We have a terrific show filled with tips and tricks for you today. So let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. I am so excited to have you join me today. I'm Pat Sloan, and we are going to kick off the show with a little chat with Lindsay McRae about feed sacks. And Lindsay is actually on the road, on her way to an event. And so this is pretty exciting to coordinate. Lindsay, thank you for doing this on your road trip. (laughs) Well, of course. Thank you for asking me, Pat. I'm delighted to do it. You know, we talked uh, a little bit earlier this year about feed sacks because you have gone this like super huge, big, deep dive into into feed sacks. So where are you going right now? Because you're going to talk about them, right? And, and where? I am. I'm actually really excited. I'm going to go to New York City as part of New York Textile Month, and I'll be giving a talk on Thursday at Parsons at 5.30 p.m. If you happen to be in New York City, I'd love to have you come. Um, so yeah, that's where we're, we're, I'm doing a road trip on my way there. So, wow, that's, that's a pretty, how in the world did you, did they just look for somebody with feed sacks or did you apply to do that? How did you get hooked up with that? That's a neat thing. It is a neat thing. And I'm really excited. I actually saw New York textile month last year and I was interested and I wrote to them and told them what I did and they were interested. And so we just coordinated and, um, I'm, I'm excited because I think it's a story that I've, I've wanted to take it to New York and I think it's a great story for anyone, you know, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I think, you know, students at Parsons are interested in design and fabric and so it'll be a really good fit for that too. So you've been, you know, once you started taking this sort of dive into what exactly our feats actually wrote this gorgeous book, um, did, you know, ha- have you been surprised by where this has taken you? I've been very surprised. It's been, a, it's been a wonderful journey that I never expected. You know, I'm a writer. I think of my, I'm a journalist and I think of myself as mm-hmm. a writer, although for about, Oh, 10 years I've been writing for the textile industry, um, starting with a, an article for Quilt Sampler in, I think, 2007. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I wrote this book, it's led to several really exciting opportunities, um, including Moda asked me to uh, do a line of fabric based on feed sacks. And then a friend and I started a pattern design company, Clark Street Quilts. Mm-hmm. And that's been a whole new adventure. And then it's, the other thing is to go out and give talks. I just really have enjoyed doing that because I always hear wonderful stories from people in the audience about their experience with feed sacks. So it's definitely now, I, taken me many places. Now, I've forgotten, Lindsay, do you have feed sacks in your family or, you know, to pull from to get you started? You know, I don't, although there turned out there was a feed sack in my family that I didn't realize was a feed sack, but I, I learned about it from a man. There was one. Yes. When I went home after I'd heard the the story about feed sacks and I went home and I said to my mom, have you ever, I'm from Southern California. Have you ever heard of this? And she said, heard of it. She said, go to my dresser drawer and pull out that shoe bag. And there's a bag that for years and years I've seen her pack her shoes in when she travels. And it turns out she made it out of a feed sack that she had gotten from my aunt's farm, you know, in the 1940s. <laughs> so that was the only one in my family. But, no, I learned about feed sacks from a man, Mike Saws, who came to our guild and talked about them. And I was just fascinated. And I ended up writing a story for Etsy. I used to blog for Etsy. 
and I got about 200 comments, and I realized I wasn't the only person who was fascinated by feedback. So that's where it started. Now, I wanted you to tell me about uh, one of these, you know, great trips that you've done to speak about FeedSax and what you've learned. And you went to the Netherlands. Uh, how that I was did. also, yeah, and that was also wasn't it involved with something sort of like a bigger project there. Well, it, that was a really exciting thing that happened uh, right around the end of January, beginning of February. But long before that, I was contacted by um, Jillian. Uh, Vogelsang Eastwood, who's the director of the Textile Research Center in Leiden in the Netherlands. And I knew mm-hmm. nothing about the Textile Research Center. And she had seen the book, and she'd actually written a review of the book. And um, she wrote me and said, um, we're going to do a feedback exhibit. It turned out that in a large donation of textiles they'd been given, there were 36 feedbacks. And she knew nothing about them and was really intrigued and started researching them. And she said, we're going to do a feed sack exhibition, and would you know anyone who would like to come and speak about feed sacks to us with some <laughs> expertise? And you could just, like, hear, I'm sure she could hear me jumping up and down, waving my hand all the way over in uh, Holland because I was so excited. I was like, me, me, me. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I was invited to go, and I, I did also help find quilts for the exhibit um, that they, the Textile Research Center then purchased. And um, they mounted this really wonderful exhibit. There were several other Americans who helped, um, Sherry Cook and uh, some other folks. And the exhibit was put together, and then I was invited. Because it was partially funded by the United States Embassy, they had to bring an American over, and that turned out to be me. And so I presented lectures, and I did workshops, uh, sewing workshops, quilting workshops, and I gave gallery tours. And wow. it was a really fabulous week. So. That, that is just an incredible amount of stuff. I mean, that is so interesting that the embassy was, um, you know, partly funding it, you know, so mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you got, yeah, you got to sort of come in for sure. <laughs> That's a, you know, right, it, right. Do they have feeds? Do they have a feed sack history in Europe? I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, it's interesting. There. So the first day I got there, there's this great big windmill there, that, and I was wandering around town. It was before my stuff started, and I went into it, and it turned out it had been a flour mill. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Jillian about it, and she said, we have a sack from that mill, which indeed they do. But the sacks that were in Europe were not the print sacks that we think of. They, mm-hmm. It was a white sack with an image, the name of the mill on it, but they were mm-hmm. not the beautiful print sacks that we have here in the United States. Yeah, because so. our feed, the feed sacks that the quilters like are the ones that they marketed to people to buy to cut and use. So right. nobody exactly. wanted the, exactly. the mill's name on their, you know, skirt. That would be. Right. right. <laughs> well, people sure did, though. Before there were the beautiful prints, people definitely yeah. used those other sacks, but they you know, worked hard to get the ink out or they used them for undergarments mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. in some way that they wouldn't show. So, so yeah. what did the, what did you find out about working with the Dutch quilters? Did, um, you know, did, had they been using feed sacks yet or was it all sort of a new thing for them? There were a couple people in the workshops who were very familiar with feed sacks and who actually had come to the United States and bought feed sack quilts and they brought them to share but many of the people who came and who just came to the gallery didn't know about feed sacks and were really interested in them. Two of my favorite things, there's a very, very active quilting community in Holland, and 
one of my students in the class was one of the uh, presidents of the great big national guild. There's a mm. lot of interesting, there's a beautiful shop in the, in Leiden called meet and make that has lovely fabric and yarn. Um, but two of the things that were my favorite things that I learned, one of them was that when I was getting the class ready, Jillian said, well, we, I'm not sure about having people bring sewing machines. And she said, you know, it's, we don't, people, a lot of people don't have cars here. And as it oh. turned out, a number of people brought their sewing machines on their bicycles. Oh class. my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And people, it's just such a bike culture. Everyone rides bikes, all ages, shapes, sizes. And several of my students brought bicycles to, uh, brought, brought sewing machines on their bicycles. But students they, who didn't, one of the really interesting things was I walked over to one of these tables and there were about six women there and they were all hand piecing. Mm-hmm. And there's wow. a very, very big culture of hand piecing. And hmm. um, so these people took the same class that everyone else was taking, but they just pieced by hand. And that's, that's, I saw some amazing, beautiful uh, hand piece quilts while I was there too. Oh, what a neat, have you, have you been to Holland before? I had been to Amsterdam before. Um, okay. Leiden is a really pretty, it's a big university town, and it's a fabulous town, not too far from Amsterdam. So I had never been there before. But I would definitely like to go back. And I really, I would encourage people, if you're on Instagram, the Textile Research Center, and the center is C-E-N-T-R-E, um, you should check it out because it's really, they have a, all kinds of interesting textiles. I mean, quilts are not, are just a tiny, tiny portion of what they do. So yeah, very yeah what, place. it is a, it is a neat feat because you told me that. And so I went out and looked and I'm like, wow, you know, just because we all love fiber, I think just the inspiration of seeing it used in other ways is exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the director wrote this amazing book, which was voted the best reference book of 2016, I think, of any reference book of any kind. And it was written about Middle Eastern embroidery and embellishment. Wow. So she has a lot of interesting esoteric things going on there um and mm. while we're following that feed so <laughs> so i want to do a, sl- a small switch here because i only have you so long and then you have to get back mm-hmm. on the road um <laughs> so what <laughs> so when when you go like this road trip are you stopping at antique shops are you going in and looking for things yes we are <laughs> oh. <laughs> we we didn't have a lot of it planned um but we definitely my friends that's traveling with me and I, we've stopped at antique stores. I've found probably three feed sacks so far. And um, it's just fun to look. And I haven't found any quilts, which I would love to find some feed sack quilts. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the other thing I should just mention, too, that we did yesterday that was also fantastic was we went to the Wisconsin um, Quilt and Textile Museum in oh, Petersburg. Nice. Yeah. It, yeah. So I also recommend that to anyone who's traveling in that direction near Milwaukee. It's beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah. So can you give me just a one real quick tip, because we're almost out of time, how to know you've got a real feed sack when you think, you know, when you see something in antique? Sure, sure. Well, obviously, the very best way to know is if it's still sewn as a sack, and several of the ones I just bought were two of of them. But if it's not, and you find this piece of fabric, feed sacks were often around, say, 37 by 46, somewhere in there. Um, that's a rough estimate. They're about a yard and seven inches of fabric. And the very best way you can tell is that you will see the stitching lines are still there, um, mm-hmm. down along the sides and the bottom and sometimes also along the top. And that's, that's your indication that it was once sewn together as a sack. 
Um, so that's your best way of knowing. Lindsay, so. thank you so much. This has been this has been fun. I'm very envious you're going to New York City. I wish I could be there tonight or tomorrow, whenever I it is. I wish you could too, but I'm <laughs> glad this worked out, Pat. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Oh, thank you, Lindsay. Everybody can follow Lindsay at Instagram on Seems Right, W-R-I-T-E, because she's a journalist. We'll be right back. <laughs> Six issues of American Patchwork and Quilting a year delivered right to your door. Each issue is packed full of quilting patterns, how-to techniques, and tips and tricks from the editors and designers. And right now, we have a special deal for all of our podcast listeners. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash deal to subscribe and enter coupon code podcast at checkout to get 60% off your subscription. Find the link in our show notes. You don't want to miss out. Are you a good starter of projects, but not the best finisher? Have you amassed a large collection of UFOs or unfinished objects? Join our private Facebook group to be supported by a community of quilters all working to finish their projects. Search for the American Patrick and Quilting UFO Challenge on Facebook to get started. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I'm Pat Sloan. I am incredibly lucky to be part of the Baby Lock family where I get to meet this amazing array of designers who work in the sewing industry. They'll, they, the people I'm meeting come from all areas. And sometimes when I meet them, I'm just so excited about the work they're doing and them as a person. And truly Alvarenga is this person truly is <laughs> very creative. I know. And I, we've become friends truly. And I have become friends. <laughs> we <And> have. So, <laughs> I know. And so you all need to meet her. She's a fashion designer and she's out of Nashville, uh, Tennessee. So truly I, so I'm so glad this could work out. You're a busy lady. Me too. Uh, very. You caught me at a good time. <laughs> yeah. I think the first time we tried to do this, you were like, oh, I need to make my sister's wedding dress. I think that's what you were yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah not, 200 yards of tool. Yeah, not all of my guests tell me that is why they have to schedule later. You know, they're not making wedding <laughs> dresses. So, uh, so, you know, being a fashion designer, you are, you know, all about textiles. And, uh, we, you know, we've talked when we've been at the different things at Baby Lock. You and I have just had this connection. And, um, you know, tell me a little bit about how you got into sewing. Did you sew as a, as a child? Well, so it's funny because I, my mom doesn't sew and I didn't really have many people who sewed, but we went and visited my great aunt in Vermont for Christmas and she mm. gave me a quilt kit and showed me how to use a sewing machine and I got so excited about it that it just was like a whole new world for me. And sadly, I don't actually quilt, but it oh. started this whole 
thing in motion of me wanting to learn how to sew and learning how to hand sew first and then being able to use a machine as I got older. Mm-hmm. But so it just, you... just fell in along with this love of, like, making things. Yeah. So you so you started sewing things by hand because your your mom thought you were too young for a machine? Um, I had a, a tendency to take things apart. Um, oh. So they were a little worried. If they gave me a sewing machine, the first thing I would do would take it apart. <laughs> I always wanted to know how everything worked. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, so they're like, okay, here's the needle. You can't take that apart. <laughs> Pretty much. But I was oh. taking my clothes apart to see how they were made, mm-hmm. which was not appreciated by my mom. Oh, my goodness. So when you oh, – so as a, can you think back? Like, think back. It's when you did that. Did you have any concern? Like, you were like, oh, mom just bought me this. I'm going to take it apart and see how it's made. Did you ever think, well, maybe that's – you know, she might not like that. Or <laughs> Well, so I always got hand-me-downs. I'm one of eight kids, and I'm near the top, so I never had, like, new clothes. So I was never that worried. Yeah. But every once in a while, it would be like, that skirt has only been worn ten times. I can't believe yeah. you took it apart. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so when did you start making your own clothing? You took this apart. Did you then make patterns from it? Yeah, I did. It actually started when I was um, a teenager because I wanted new clothes. I wanted stuff that fit my personality. And where my big sister had great taste, it was her taste and not mine. And so I wanted to, like, have things that were, were very me. So I started taking things apart and learning how to sew and teaching myself how to make things. And so many times I'd get to the top of the stairs, ready to leave the house, and my mom would go, go back in and change. (laughs) (laughs) So that's been going on a while, has it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) They know I actually enjoy the fact that I make things. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, that is so funny. So what? at what point did you say, you know, like, okay, this clothing thing is really me and and I'm going to explore it as a as what I do for a living. Um I think it was around the age of like 17. Mm-hmm. Um I really knew I wanted to go to college but I didn't know for what. And when I started looking into it I was like there's fashion schools. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was kind of my thing was like okay I'm going to learn learn to go to fashion school and I'm going to figure out how to do that and I eventually did. I moved to Nashville to live with my grandfather, and I ended up starting uh, my schooling down here. Oh, so is there a big um, so there's a big fashion scene, I guess, or training, or what? And I'm not very versed in the fashion words. <laughs> um, so they have they have a couple schools here in Nashville, but they have an extremely supportive fashion community. Oh, okay. um, I've been part of their fashion week for probably about the last eight years. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a fashion council to help with stuff and people to reach out to for mentoring. And they just, they try and bring in like a good array of people and bands and just try and bring a lot of the Nashville community together through fashion because everybody wears clothes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of us want them to look <laughs> good too. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so tell, just tell me right now the type of things that you're making, you know, what is your business? Because it's, um, you know, obviously you're not making quilts like we are, you know, but, but tell me what your business is. 
Um, I make one-of-a-kind pieces for people mostly. Um, I do a collection every year of my own stuff that I just have fun making. But then I have people who come to me and I'll make custom gowns and dresses and jackets and stuff. I've had gowns that have gone to the inaugural balls and White House Christmas parties or Mm. have graced the pages of the Rolling Stones magazine. So it's a little bit of of an array, but Mm -hmm. it's mostly gowns and special occasion clothing. Yeah. And so you will do something for, from scratch for a client. Like they bring ideas yeah. and you do, wow, that's, that's scary to me. It's like, oh, cause my clothing <laughs> never fit truly. I would put it on to be like, you know, my mother said I'd wear it, but then she'd be like, I don't know. And I just make something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just recently had a client who came to me and she wanted a tie dye gown. And I don't tie-dye, so I had to teach myself how to tie-dye silk in order to make this specialty gown for her. And we worked for about three months together going back and forth, doing mock-ups and trying stuff, testing the colors until she was really happy with it. Wow. So it's a, it's a process. Yeah. Did you, did you like tie-dyeing? I did ice tie-dyeing, which I had never done before, and it was so cool. The The... The fabric turned out looking like watercolor, the way the water would drip down with the ice mm-hmm. and the dyes, and it was just, it was stunning. Oh, neat. And, and like, you no two patterns were the same. Oh, yeah. That's, the, I've heard the, the quilters will ice dye fabric, too. That's where you've, you've got a, you, you literally are immersing it, I mean, putting it in ice cubes. It is, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so you put it on, like, a, a rack. Like like a straightener almost, and then you scrunch it up in different places, and you put the ice on top of it, and then you sprinkle the dye on top of the ice in certain places. Uh, and it seems like it would be very difficult, but it's the most simple thing, and you would just let it sit for hours as the ice melts. Oh, so that the gives it sort of that room in my squeaky... house is covered with thins of ice. <laughs> You're like going to the store. I need more ice. And I think, what is what yes. kind of party is this woman having that she's gonna have the ice machine? Oh my goodness! So, I, what machines do you use? What baby locks are you using? So I have a Rachel machine, which is one of their beginner machines, and I sew almost everything on that. And then I have a Triumph, which is an eight thread serger, which is those stitches you get on the edge of like your your clothing that looks like it's been binded. Mm-hmm. But it also does, like, cover stitching, and one of my favorite things it does is it puts binding on and sews it at the same time. So whether you're a quilter or you're finishing off a hem with binding or you're doing your inside seams, it's, like, the best machine ever. It does so many things. You know, that's one of the things I'd like to play with because I'm like a serger, like not at all a serger person. So I, you know, at, at Baby Lock, when we all did that one uh, event there with, that was the mm-hmm. first time I'd used it. And so I, I really would like to try it, because, you know, next, next time we're at Common Threads, you have to walk me through. Oh, definitely. Binding well, the on. best thing about the Triumph is it's like, it has all these threads. So it has air that blows it through all, like, the tunnels and everything. So it's like, threads itself, including the needles. Mm, so on those days wow. when you have a hard time seeing the needles, you just, like, press a button and it comes down and it does it for you. Does it for you. Yes, that's magic. We all we all yes. those things. <laughs> magic. The magic. So if you- I have friends that I've brought over and I've shown them. I'm like, watch this. It's 
magic. <laughs> showing off, showing off the machine. Uh, yes. <laughs> so if you're going to do, you have a lot of different fibers that you work with, a lot of different types of fabric. If you're doing some home deck kind of things, because your quilters, you know, well, primarily we have cotton, but, you know, we do like mm-hmm. to do some home deck things. What are one of your favorite home deck kind of projects? Oh, I have a few. Um, one of the ones I did recently was I took really beautiful, heavy uh, upholstery fabric, and I covered the walls of, like, my wow. staircase and the front of my stairs so that I didn't have to paint it. Because in the olden days, people <laughs> actually used to do that. Yeah. And it looks beautiful. Now I can see fabric, like, everywhere. <laughs> right. Oh, how cool. And you you do a lot of home interior things. You told me you did a lot with your dad at one point, like renos and things. Yeah, that actually really started my love for sewing because it was it was this other way of using patterns and putting things together, and it started my brain thinking about how, like, okay, if you're fitting these pipes together, it works this way. So I just correlate that to, like, if you're putting these pieces of fabric together, it works that way. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I grew up all... remodeling, like, 100-year-old homes with my dad. Oh, wow. Wow, that's uh, that's a, those are that's a big job because they always need a lot of work. That's <laughs> it is, but I find it so much fun, and I find it just falls into that whole like just the love of making. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things you are also a kitty mom. You have a kitty, so like on your Instagram, you always have. Oh yeah, yeah. So do you have one or more than one? I have two right now. Oh. <laughs> Can't have more than two because it outweighs the human beings, and they're too they're too intelligent. <laughs> so, so but when I'm sewing, Rascal will sit on my shoulder and watch. Oh, oh, how? What kind of of kitties do you have? They're hairless. They're sphinx cats, so they wear their own little clothes. So they run around in their own little wardrobe. Oh my gosh! Best dressed kitties <laughs> that, that you've made, right? You make their clothes. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we go out in public, and and my my little guy Rascal, like nobody even knows he's there. I think I brought him to Common Threads one year, and it took people like hours to figure out that there was something in the bag. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh well, you know, quilters love pets, and we call them we call them our our office assistants or our inspectors. That's uh. Mm-hmm. Right, because they always have to have their noses in everything or lay right on top of what you're doing. <laughs> I, it's funny because in the fashion community, I joke that Rascal is really in charge of the designing, and I'm the one who just makes the stuff. That makes the stuff. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, truly, this has been so much fun to have you on and uh, have everybody meet you. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I was looking forward to this forever. <laughs> Yes, yes, we made it work out, and uh, I will hopefully, I might get to Nashville next year, and maybe I'll see you. Yes, I would. Lo- if you make it for the Quilt Festival, let me know, because I'm going to be coming to that or market. All righty. Hi, I'm Jody Sanders, Group Editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and I'd like to invite you to join me in making pillowcases to make a difference. 
For people who love to sew or quilt, it's so easy to lift spirits and bring smiles to hospitalized kids, homeless families, and others who are in need. Simply join American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine's One Million Pillowcase Challenge. Make one, two, or more pillowcases and donate them in your local community. You will make a difference with every pillowcase that you donate. Join the movement today. Find complete details, download free patterns, and record your donations online at allpeoplequilt.com slash million pillowcase. Join the annual American Patchwork and Quilting Quilt Along, along with thousands of other quilters. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash quiltalong to choose your favorite project and get the pattern. Then get sewing. Share photos of your progress on social media using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I'm Pat Sloan. When you hear my quilt infatuation and you find out it's a website and you find out there's a marvelous quilt maker and designer behind that name, you just have to invite her on the show. So Kelly Young is here with me and she writes at My Quilt Infatuation and has does lots of projects that you are really familiar with. Kelly, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, Pat. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, I started looking around at your things and see you love scraps. I absolutely do love scraps. I feel like the best part about a scrap quilt is that um, it, when it's all finished, it's really greater than the sum of its parts, but... Another wonderful thing about them is that they're kind of a treasure hunt and a walk down memory lane. That is really true because people save precious pieces. Exactly. And I do the same. Yeah, they're like, oh, I remember I put this in the quilt I gave to, you know, Aunt Betty or to my, you know, my little nephew or whatever it is. Yeah, it's just memory lane is just an amazing way to think about it. Yes, in fact... I mean, I have lots of quilts at my house, but my very favorite ones are always my scrap quilts. I can't <laughs> seem to part with those. <laughs> do, do you have any antique quilts? Um, I have, I don't know that I have quilts that I would consider to be antiques. I do have some old family quilts that have been passed down from my grandmother and great-grandmother, and I love those dearly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Family quilts are the best because I don't have any in my family, but my husband's family has a couple that have still survived. So we have them. Um, now, you told me, though, that you actually loved the quilts before you you really started making them. Um, I is that did. Um, I've actually, even as growing up on family vacation, chose a quilt as a souvenir from a family vacation. I've always loved them, loved helping my grandmother pick out fabrics and um, all of those things. But as soon as um, I got married, I actually made my very first quilt almost 20 years ago. Um, We lived in Baltimore at the time, and it's so funny. I bought all of the fabric for the quilt, but no tools, no sewing machine, (laughs) which really kind of confused my husband. I was told him, I said, fabric first, dear. Um, 
But before we could get the rest of what I needed, we got over a foot of snow, and we were snowed into our apartment for a few days. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up, you know, using what I had, a little mending kit and, you know, paper scissors and trace a square <laughs> out of a shoebox lid. I mean, <laughs> it was quite an adventure, but um, I actually borrowed a friend's machine to finish that quilt and never looked back. I loved it so much, um, actually creating my own. Yeah, that is a fabulous story. You bought all the fabric and then had to use those little, like, were they the little kits you get, like, for free, you know, in your hotel room that you yes, can mend with? A little, yep. a little bitty mending kit with a couple of shades of thread and a needle and little scissors, and I just traced a shoe, a square on a shoebox lid and put it on the fabric and traced it over and over and cut them out that way. And I'm sure I didn't mention that this quilt turned out to be a king-size quilt. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness, Kelly. Oh my it was goodness. quite the undertaking, but yeah. it was pretty funny to stand in the, in the fabric store in the quilt shop and um, for my husband to, to ask, do we really need all of this fabric? We don't, you don't even have a sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Just trust me. Trust me. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Now, you also were, um, you're not right now, but you were an elementary school teacher for quite a few years. What do you think that has brought to your quilt making? Well, you know, one thing that um, I've always loved about the, loved about the classroom and loved about quilting is that it's a wonderful outlet for creativity, and it's also the perfect blend of form and function. I love that um, that quilting is an expression of, of your creativity and color sense, but there is order to it, and mm-hmm. so that makes it really, really wonderful and appeals to kind of both sides of my brain. Yeah. And yeah, teaching makes- is very similar. That makes sense. Plus, also, I think you're you probably are used to just doing things. Like I was just thinking when you were sewing with the little, you know, the little sewing kit. Well, if you're a teacher, you just have to figure it out. Exactly. Make it work on the fly and on and the fly, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for well, sure. It's all I have. I'm okay with that. Um, you know, you're an author as well, and I want to talk about your um, book, Stash Statement, which is uh, the tagline, which is so cool, is make the most of your fabric with easy improv quilts. I and mean, this is a great book, Kelly. You did a fabulous job. Well, thank you so much. Um, so the concept of Stash Statement is really actually very unique In quilting, the terms improvisation and pattern don't usually go together, but in my book, they do. Um, I wanted to write a book that would allow people that were apprehensive about sewing their scraps together in this way, um, giving, giving a really detailed guide with actual quilt patterns that can be followed in order to really make the most of your scraps And they create um, quilts that are created are full of texture and color and just lots of interest. So tell me a little bit about how you get your scraps organized to make one of, you know, make these type of quilts. Because you do, um, visually, just looking at the book, it looks like you do a lot with controlling the color to keep things more cohesive. 
I do. Actually, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually one of the very first ways that I encourage um, people to start if they're unfamiliar with mixing their scraps this way. Grab a handful of a single color and start with that or even two colors because it can be overwhelming. Sometimes when you're trying a new technique like this, more is not always more. If you're staring Mm -hmm. at a mountain of scraps, it can it can feel like you'll never get through it. Um, I actually love creating scrappy quilts that aren't necessarily even true scrap quilts. Almost all of my quilts use way more prints than really needed for the pattern, but I love scraps so much that I end up taking those leftovers and just putting them on the back and making mm-hmm. a scrappy backing. So... <laughs> Um, but you're right in that in the very first section of the book, I organize everything by color first, and then we start mixing scraps of different colors. Mm-hmm. So do you, you know, how are you keeping track of all of this? Like, you know, in your own personal things, do you have a bin of yellow, a bin of red? I mean, do you have like I a do. whole room full of fabric? And you would probably be surprised to see just how few scraps I really have at any one given time. I I do arrange by color, and anything smaller than a fat quarter goes in um, an apothecary jar for each color. Mm. And it's not very big, probably maybe 12 to 14 inches high, maybe 6 inches around, just a standard glass apothecary jar. That actually keeps me in check because I love my scraps so much that I oh. could see myself collecting <laughs> so many that it would feel mm-hmm. overwhelming. But I know that when my scrap start, jars start to get full, that mm-hmm. it's time to start doing something with them before they get to that, to that state. Otherwise, um, I would probably yeah. drown in them. <laughs> right. Yeah, they can be. And I think that's what a lot of quilters run into. Kelly is they they just feel like they're drowning in these precious little pieces they can't get rid of and what's very cool is that you're giving them some uh, ways in your book that are pretty easy to just you know sew them up so they're not getting all in your way now can you just do give me a little tip because you know scraps are not like straight edges so are you sewing things together and not worrying too much about that, or are you like trimming them up all first to sometimes get them it really depends on my mood. Sometimes I trim mm-hmm. them up to a, a straighter edge. Sometimes I leave it a little bit um, diagonal, and so mm-hmm. that way, keeping in mind, of course, that whenever you take those pieces and you're cutting your quilt pattern pieces from it, they're going to be squared up at that point. So it's mm-hmm. really whatever you choose to do I always um, I always stress this in my class you don't in my classes you don't actually have to take the time to do any additional cutting on your scraps whatsoever before you can just grab them and start sewing and that's really freeing that is so much fun that is you know you don't have to be doing all this prep although some of the fabrics might be a little wrinkly people have <laughs> You know, they just shove it in the bag. You know, they might need to press it. Just that, to... well, and I do. I don't. <laughs> I I don't certainly use fabrics that are like 
completely crinkled up mm-hmm. into a wad. But if it's got a couple of folds in it, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, you know, just to kind of remove a little bit of stress from myself and just keep mm-hmm. going with the process. Um, but I do, I always have one or two quilters in my classes that that want to press everything perfectly mm-hmm. first, and that's okay, too. If it stresses somebody out to use fabric that's slightly wrinkled, the whole point is to have fun and, and de-stress while you're using your scraps. So whatever makes you feel better, go with that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an excellent way. You know, you just do what you because you're you're a teacher, that, and so not only did you teach first, but you know, as in in a different career, but you're a teacher now, so you see all kinds of ways people work. Absolutely, um, I give tips in the book and in my classes on how even to go through and not press after every seam, but I always have one or two that say. I have to press after every seam. It just right. makes me, just gives me heart palpitations to, right. to not press. <laughs> but that's okay. I am yeah. not the boss of you. You right. do what you like to do. Yeah, and that makes for the best class because everybody can work to their own pace and, you know, and, and keep their comfort zone. For sure. Yeah. So I have a fun question. Do you collect anything, you know, besides fabric? Oh, I really love architectural salvage. That um, old corbels and pediments, finials, tin ceiling tiles. If it was once part of someone's old house or an old building, I love it. And I've been bringing as much of it home in my decor as I can for years. Um, my husband, I'll go antiquing, and he'll say, please do not bring someone's, a piece of someone's old house. <laughs> and we just laugh because he knows I'm going to. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. So, okay, fine. Just don't look at that thing I just brought in. Exactly. <laughs> right. He's like, what you are you going to you. do with that? <laughs> right. Well, Kelly, this has been so much fun. I appreciate you being able to be here. Well, thank you so much for having me, Pat. I have so enjoyed talking with you this afternoon. Everybody can visit Kelly at My Quilt Infatuation where you can find out about her teaching and maybe she'll come visit you. We'll be right back. Our listeners love a good deal. We have a special offer just for our podcast listeners. Get 50% off a downloadable pattern of your choice in our online shop. Visit apqshop.com, add a digital pattern to your cart, and enter coupon code PODCAST at checkout. Then get quilting. Visit our show notes for more details. We've been doing the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast since 2011. That's a lot of shows. Search for guests listen to past episodes, and read quotes from the show on our website. You'll even find a special welcome video from our host, Pat Sloan. Visit us at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. 
Rebecca Bryan is all about color. She's a multi-talented quilt maker, and she, she's one of the designers for the Splendid Sampler 2, and you've already done her block. And she's also been on a whirlwind, I don't know, worldwide moving <laughs> event <laughs> yes. over the last, yeah, over what, like the last year. Rebecca, thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. You have been all over the place recently. Do you feel a li- you're, you're back into a new home now? You've moved, moved, moved. Do you feel sort of yes. set at the moment? Yeah, I feel the light at the end of the tunnel. I feel like I can see it. Things are getting settled. I still need to get a few things. Like I still need to get my plate for my um, my ruler plate for my long arm quilting machine, but. You know, things are starting to feel settled again, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to normal life. Yeah. So tell us just really briefly, like, about your moves, because you went, like, bing, 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 and, you know, it's a lot. Sure. So uh, let's see. I think December of 2016, my husband's company asked us to go to the Netherlands in July of 2017, and we agreed, and we were really excited to go over there. The plan was to be in the Netherlands for three years. But I think it was only in June of this year, 2018, that they were like, well, we know we said it was three years, but we really need you back in Houston. And <laughs> we we, tr- we tried to tell them no, but they really insisted. So we read between the lines, and now we are happily in Houston. Right. And you didn't start from Houston. When you went to the Netherlands, you were where? We were in St. Louis. Yeah. In St. Louis, yeah. So, okay. Wow. That's a lot of moving of family and your business and, and oh all of your goodness. things. Yes, it is a lot of moving. And everyone, right. the family, they've been real troopers. And But I think we're all, you know, happy to stay in one place for longer than a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, And you were um, also... Uh, designer for for us for Orphil and so you showed us some pictures of the Netherlands for the interview which are just fabulous people could go see yes. so let's yes, talk a little bit about pictures. about color because that's one of the things that you uh that you're known for is your use mm-hmm. of color and you do workshops and you teach classes but when you you know what what about color makes you happy yeah so I love to work with color, and something about color just excites me and drives my creative um, desire to design quilts to show off color. And one of the things I want to teach people is, um, and I know color can be a a big challenge for a lot of people, and color is a challenge for me as well. I've been known to spend hours planning colors for a project, and so I strive to make color easier both for myself and for um, my readers and people that attend my workshops. Mm-hmm. So what is one of the um, ways to approach color that work that works for you? So right now I've got, well, I'm hosting a series on my blog called Playful Color Month. And so every Tuesday and Thursday I'm sharing a new article or an event about playing with color. And so one thing I shared recently, just last week, was creating your own personal color wheel. So I've oh. got this exercise. <laughs> I've got this exercise where I take you through creating your own personal color wheel that is really unique to your own likes and dislikes. 
For example, mm-hmm. I don't like a pure green. I usually tend to a blue-green. Mm. And so um, part of the exercise is identifying the color, your color comfort zone. And so what you can do with your personal color wheel is take it to a new project and easily pull colors that not only suit your taste and your stash, but hopefully it will make the color choosing process easier. You know, that's really, really interesting because we all have colors. It's interesting to make something that's associated to your personal colors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you ever use, like, paint chips or things like that for, you know, instead of real fabric? Do you think that helps people? Yeah, so I usually use fabric. Um, I, I usually use fabric uh, swatches cut from a color card. But paint mm. chips are really helpful. The one thing with paint chips, though, are there's a lot more paint chips that are available than mm-hmm. there is fabric. If that ah, makes sense. yes, yes. So you can get but, like eighteen thousand shades of lavender, where you can maybe only get right. five shades in fabric. <laughs> right. And so we can get really attached to that particular lavender color, and then go to look for that particular lavender color in the mm-hmm. fabric store and be a little bit disappointed and have to make an adjustment on the fly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point that using I, – I like to use real fabric, but I find that occasionally people get – like a fabric has more colors in it, like an image that's a different color. Mm-hmm. Some, yeah. Sometimes do you find people get like like caught up in the other colors that are in it? Mm-hmm. So how do you tell them to – look at a piece like that that might have a pink background with, with some images on it. Okay, so I just read an article about how to use those big, beautiful, bold prints it's on, my, um, <laughs> on my blog, but what I do tell people is, you know, those big, bold, beautiful prints are so gorgeous, but they can be really intimidating. And so what I try to teach people is use a um, almost a framework for using those big, bold, beautiful uh, fabric. So one, I like to use a quilt pattern that's a very strong pattern. And mm-hmm. so that very strong pattern will reign in that chaos of all those different colors. And the second thing I like to do is to control the chaos by, um, what was it? It was using hue, so balancing the hues. So put, um, I can't remember what I said. But it was using the big, bold, beautiful fabrics with. So mm-hmm. if you have one that's kind of red-looking, balance it or contrast it with a a purple one so that you can mm-hmm. really set apart that big, bold, beautiful print. And so using something that isn't as, like, not two big, bold prints together, but... Right, yeah, that too. So using a fabric that has a different scale would also help too. So personally, do you use a lot of um, bold prints or do you uh, use more tonal prints? I'm probably best known for using solids, but most Mm. recently in the last few months, I've really gotten into playing with prints that have a lot of colors in them. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I've personally been exploring. You know, when you do a wide variety of uh, types of quilts, Rebecca. I do. What is you do? It's a. I love looking at your <laughs> your quilts and your posts and your Instagram Thank feed. I mean, you. because 
It's such a wide variety. How do you, because I think that's a lot of quilters are like that. They want to try this and then they like, oh, that looks cool. I want to make one of those. How do you personally right. handle the variety or doesn't, or do you even need to? Well, in the past, in my first book, Modern Rainbow Quilts, I had three different genres of quilts. I had one that was devoted to traditional inspired quilts, one that was modern, and then a section devoted to improv quilts. Um, Personally, now, I'm really playing with trying to integrate different styles into one quilt. And I, I, I think I've shown you a picture of one of the quilts that I'm working on. I think I've shown it on Instagram. It's um, mm-hmm. a really traditional yellow, red, blue stars mashed together with white and black improv. And it's so crazy, but I love it so much. And I think people either love it or they hate it, but I love it. And I, I, what I'm doing is I'm exploring the intersection of all these different genres. So I'm mm-hmm. just trying to have fun with it. Yeah, I think having fun is is important because we all get, I mean, not just business, not just people like us in the business, but even quilters get caught up in a deadline or have to make this for that person rather than just mm-hmm. making for the work in progress pile that's getting a bit oh. too much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mine is huge. Uh, you know, but how do you help people sort of play to learn, you know, where they don't have to have those deadlines? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I just encourage people to really play with what they're working on. And if it's not fun for you, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Since we do this as a way to relax, as a way to enjoy ourselves. If we're not having fun, then why are we doing it? Life mm-hmm. too short. And one of yeah. the things I like to say is if it's not colorful, don't do it. So if you don't <laughs> love the colors, leave it. Put it in the trash, bury it in that work in progress pile, and forget about it. Go do something that really makes you happy. Yeah, it is hard. It is hard when a project is not speaking to us. And, you know, unfortunately, you might have a deadline, like you, you know, promised it to somebody. But if you don't, mm-hmm. um, it's good to, to put it away, <laughs> do something that does make you happy. What is your current Besides your one that you're working with the black and white and the traditional, you know, together, what else do you have currently going on? So I've got, I'm working on the block of the month for my, my block of the month for 2008. And I'm working towards planning planning a new block of the month for 2019. Mm. For my personal enjoyment, I'm working on a quilt that just combines different fabrics in a block with just half square triangles. And I'm working with those crazy, um, not crazy, but larger scale prints that I'm used to. And I'm really just mm-hmm. trying to have fun with it, choose the fabrics that go together, sew them together and see what happens. And that's been my just for fun sewing that I've really been enjoying. That's neat. That is neat. You know, I, it, it, we all need something that's just, you know, no purpose. You know, you just. Yes. And I was laughing yeah. to myself last night. I was like, this is like stress sewing. I'm stress sewing because I did something <laughs> similar in the, the Netherlands. I just made a quilt. I had that log cabin, Hello Holland quilt. Mm-hmm. And I just made it just for the sake of just sitting down and getting something done. And it was really, it just brought so much peace to my mind just to be able to sit down and sew something. And so I think it's. Stress sewing for me, and it's healthy. Yeah, it's a healthy way to deal with stress. 
Do you pre-cut if you're going to do that, or are you sort of cutting a little bit, sewing a little bit? How? What is your approach? So, yeah, I don't really like to cut. I like to get right to the sewing. So what I'll do <laughs> is I'll cut enough to make four sets of blocks. And so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll cut my eight fabrics out. I'll pin them together, and then I'll sit and sew. And I've got my Netflix. I've got a snack or a glass of wine. And I just, I'm really just enjoying the process. So I try to do all the prep work before, like the hard work of thinking which fabric goes with which fabric before Mm -hmm. I sit down and start to sew, just so I can get to the fun part of sewing together. You know, you do go out and teach. Where can people find the type of classes? You You have online classes too, right? I do, yeah. So I am just launching my Playful Color for Quilters. Playful Color Theory for Quilters this Friday. So registration is open now. And that will be the last online class I offer this year, apart from my 2018 block of the month. And then I'm going all next year, 2019, is pretty much booked up. Um, I've got a few different guilds that I think one more needs to finalize. And then 2020, I've got a wide open calendar so people can book me for teaching events for 2020. Oh, Rebecca, this has been wonderful. Thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me, Pat. It's been a great chat. Everybody can visit Rebecca at brianhousequilts.com. I'm Pat Sloan for American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. Find me online uh, if you want to join my Facebook community, Quilt Along with Pat Sloan. And the magazine also is online. Hi all, and thanks for listening. If you love the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.